we come as always to hear from you. Lord, may we, your people, hear your voice. We have come to meet with you. Would you, would you grace us with your presence? Would you make your presence known to us? Lord, I pray that this morning we would fall deeper in love with you. We would recognize how deeply you love each of us and that we would be changed by this, I pray. So just come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week uh, started uh, a short series that we're going to do on discipleship. If you remember to last week, if you were here, we were looking at a definition of discipleship because we are all called to both be disciples and make disciples. The Great Commission, once something that, that many of us are familiar with, starts with, therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all nations. Every single one of us is called to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker. But one of the problems that we have is that most of us from church to church and many of us even in this room, we would define what discipleship is differently. We've experienced it differently. We've heard it taught on differently. And so we have a different definition, which means it's really hard to all go in the same direction together because we're aiming at different things. And so what I want to do is, is introduce the definition of a disciple that actually our district has created, and I think it's really good and healthy. And so we're just going to spend the next four weeks walking, or excuse me, now it's the next three weeks, walking through the definition of a disciple. Here's the thing about this definition, though. It's not a brand new thing. When they set out to make this definition of a disciple, they said, how do we get back to what the early disciples would have thought of when they heard, go and make disciples? Back then, it was a very common experience. Whether someone had been discipled or not, everyone saw discipleship happening regularly. It was a cultural thing. For us, we're pretty far removed from it, and so it's got muddy. And so it's not a brand new thing. It's how do we get back to what they would have thought of when they heard disciples. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you were here last week, we walked through the first line, and it says, A disciple is one who is called by Christ. Okay, discipleship begins when the disciple is called by the rabbi. We looked at four things that we are called to. We're called to follow. Jesus' invitation to the 12 disciples was come, follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Listen to what I teach and then go teach what I teach. Watch what I do and then go do what I do. There was this come and follow. Be with me. They were called to life. There was always an invitation. Okay, you're with me now. Like, I want to move you from death to life. We, we looked at the call that Jesus had in Lazarus' life when he literally stood at the mouth of the grave and called Lazarus out. He was dead and he called him to life. And this is a picture of what he's done for each and every one of us. Whether we've responded or not is a different story. But he has called each of us from death to life. He's called us to transformation. We're going to look more at this next week. But to be changed, to become something new. It is not an option to be a disciple and be the same as you were last year or five years ago or ten years ago. It is not an option. Part of discipleship is this call to transformation, to change. And we've been called to the body, called to one another, 
to serve one another, to walk with one another, to love one another. Discipleship is not something you can do alone. Not only because in order to be a disciple, you're a disciple maker, which means there has to be somebody that you're discipling, but also you don't have everything you need to be the disciple you've been called to be. You need me and I need you. It's the way that God created this whole thing. He calls it the body when we come together. And I'm no more good than a severed arm sitting over on the floor by myself. I need you and you need me. We have been called to follow, to life, to transformation, and to the body. And we touched on this last week. All of this is in the context. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ. All of this following and coming to life and being changed, it's all in the context of loving relationship with Christ. I'm not going to re-preach last week's message. These kind of build on each other, and so if you miss a week, I'd I'd encourage you to go to our website and, and listen and kind of catch up so that you don't miss anything. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ. Let's, let's talk amongst ourselves for a little bit. What does it look like to be in a loving relationship with Jesus? Because again, the, the early disciples, in some ways they had it easier, in some ways it was harder. They actually had Jesus. They could, like, they could relate to him like we can relate to one another. They were walking together and talking along the road. They were sitting and eating together like What it looked like for them in the early days to be in loving relationship with Jesus is different than us. So what does it look like today to be in loving relationship with Jesus? Okay, to listen to him and to talk to him. Pretty important in any relationship. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we kind of, we can compartmentalize and like, hey, things are going good right now. God, I got this. And then when things are not going good, we're like, oh man, I need you. Where, where'd you go? Where are you at? And so it's, it's learning to, in every season, in every situation, walk in that loving relationship with him. Okay, so part of that loving relationship is like other people should be able to see it. They should be able to see that like, wow, there's something different about you. There's some, and it's not just where you spend your time on a Sunday morning, but like you are different because of this relationship that you have with him, okay? What does it look like, practically speaking? What does it look like? To take up your cross and to follow him. So let's just say it's gonna be hard, Okay. That's an understatement. It's difficult to walk in relationship with Jesus. Okay. So kind of that transformation thing that we talked about, like you should be changing. You should be growing more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, more kind, more patient. The, the fruits of the Spirit should be more and more evident in your life. Okay. Okay. It can't be about me so that 
Sure. And everything is like what I prefer or my comfort, my way. Then there might like whether it's in our relationship with me and my kids, like it's a no loving relationship is like all about one. Sure. So there has to be a laying down of rights. Yeah. There's a sacrifice. There's a, there's a recognizing. He is more important than me. Like in this, he tells us to live like that with one another. You know, even that that you should be humbled and be a servant of all, like Jesus was, especially in relationship to him. He he's king, and I'm not. So there's there's an aspect of obedience, of sacrifice that goes along with this. Any other thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Next week we're going to look at again this this idea of transformation and change a lot more closely, but it's a change my priorities, the things that I used to value, it looks different now because I follow him. I begin to value more the things that he values and maybe less the things that I did before. It's good. Yeah, there, there's an aspect of submission in loving relationship. And uh, I, I'm not going to go through and re-preach this, but last year when we talked about marriage, we talked about this word submission and how we have a messed up view of submission. We tend to adopt a worldly view of submission, which is one is dominating and the other is submitting. But when you look at it from a Christian point of view in the scriptures, it's one is leading and serving sacrificially and the other is submittingly following, trusting in the loving leadership, okay? And so even this idea of submission, some of you may have cringed a little bit, but it's this idea of trusting that Jesus loves me and has my own good at heart, and so I can submit myself to him. Does that make sense? Okay, any other thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to let him lead because, I mean, he's, in Isaiah, God says of himself, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. And, and learning to empty ourselves, you use that term, and allow him to fill us, allow him to lead and to call the shots and trusting him in that. It's, for those who have been doing it for a while, it's incredible once we actually learn to obey and to follow him in it but it's really difficult, especially, for, I'm going to say the whole time, it's really difficult. It's always death to self. One way that I often hear this, the way that we connect to God and in loving, the way that we, you know, some would put it maybe are good Christians, 
and have this loving relationship with him is the word obedience is often used. And we, we kind of touched on it in some different ones. And there's this very close tie of obedience with love. And, and actually, Jesus ties the two ideas together in John 14. He says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will, also, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That You hear this, this obedience to his calling, to what his word says. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the father who sent me. And so Jesus is really closely tying together love and obedience. If we're not careful though, we're gonna get it twisted. Too often, I'm not gonna speak for any person in this room, but many have seen this in just Christian culture, obedience is put above love. To be a Christian, to be in relationship with God, is to do what he says. But here's the issue. Can you be obedient without love? You can. That couldn't have gone better, okay? Can you be obedient without love? Listen, I, when we say yes, to a point, yes. Look at the Pharisees. No one was more about the law and obedience than the Pharisees. Did they completely miss it? They did. Because they didn't understand love. Jesus, in John 15, so just a few verses after what we just read, he says this, Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus is talking about this idea of obedience. This producing of fruit is you're becoming who he's calling you to become. Your priorities are becoming his priorities. A lot of the stuff that, that we were already talking about. But he doesn't say produce fruit and then I'll allow you to remain in me. Right. He says remain in me. Or some of your translations say abide in me. And it's this idea of live with me. Be in such close intimate relationship and dependence on me, then the fruit will come. Sometimes, again, we can get it twisted if we're not careful. To be a Christian is to read your Bible and to do what it says. And we, we can kind of simplify it like that. But to do that is to miss it, is to miss the whole point. Obedience is a fruit of love. Obedience is a fruit of abiding in close relationship with him, the fruit comes after, not before. He goes on a few verses later to say, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Again, I'm not trying at any point in time to say obedience is not important. It is absolutely vital. Jesus is still tying the two together, but we have to remember what comes first. Love. Before Jesus was obedient to the Father, for, for eternity past, before he ever came to earth, and the scripture says that he learned obedience while here on the earth, 
How did the father feel about him? Loved. The, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit were in perfect fellowship, loving each other perfectly before Jesus ever had to come do his, his bloody work on our behalf. Actually, his bloody work, his obedience came from love. And it's the same with us. He says, just as the Father has loved me, so I love the Father. And, and yes, I'm going to keep his commands. I want to remain in his love. I, I, there is this submission piece. Again, I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But it has to start from a place of loving relationship. The goal must always be relationship. The motivation is always meant to be love. When obedience is our goal or our motivation, it's often fear-oriented. When we hear people talk oftentimes about like, you got to obey and you got to, there's always this, or else he'll like take relationship away. Because if you don't obey, God's almost going to like step away from you and go, talk to me when you're serious. And it almost negates the love that the Father has for us. But instead, we're to start from a place of love and relationship. And the obedience comes out of that. Is this making sense? Reading again, John 14, the, the passage we looked at earlier. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my word. Jesus wasn't telling them they had an obedience problem. He was telling them, be careful, you may have a love problem. If you love me, you will keep my commands. He doesn't say, keep my commands, then you get to love me. We can just get it twisted sometimes. The greatest commandment, a lawyer came to Jesus one day and goes, okay, so there's 623 laws in the Jewish custom. Which one's the most important? And what does Jesus answer him? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. He then goes, it goes, goes on to give the second one that's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But he goes, look, if I have to sum up the whole thing, love the Lord your God, heart, mind, and soul. Love him with everything you have. He doesn't say obey him. He doesn't need to because he knows that if we love him, we will keep his commands. The command is love the Lord your God. Too often we, we settle for obedience. I'm going to be honest. Obedience is easier. It doesn't sound like it, but it is easier to just check the boxes, do the things, and move on. Because it almost becomes, okay, there's his time and my time. I came on a Sunday morning, I, we sang, we looked at the Bible, check, I did my Christian duties, I was obedient, I kept his commands. Now I get to go do whatever I want to do. That's easy. What's hard is to go every step I take, every moment of my day, I am in loving relationship with you. What does it look like to love you right now? That doesn't stop. There's a reason that we opt for obedience instead of love, and it's because it's actually easier. But obedience without love is religion. And as Protestants, there's one thing that we say all the time. We're like, no, 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 it's not about religion. It's about what? It's about relationship. Is that true? 100%. Do we actually believe it, though? 
if you went up to your average Christian, again, maybe you're better than this, and that's awesome. But if you went up to your average Christian and you said, hey, you're, you're a Christian, right? And they'd say, yeah. Why are you a Christian? Like, how would I know you're a Christian? I go to church. I read my Bible. I listen to Christian music. I give money. We, we would start to list some of these things as this is what makes me a Christian. How many of us would truly give the answer, why are you a Christian? I'm a Christian because he loves me and I'm in love with him. That's truly what it is to be a Christian. It's not about, well, did you read your Bible today or even this week? Is it good to read your Bible? Yeah. Is it hard to love Jesus without being in his word? 100%. Is it good to go to church? Yes. Is this what makes us followers of Jesus? Is this what makes us disciples? No. Now, I love him, and so I want to be around his people because it encourages my heart to be with other people that love him and to hear stories of what he's doing and to be challenged and to sing songs together. And I want to do this because I love him, and this helps me love him more. I don't do this so that I can, like, earn love from him in some weird way. We are called into loving relationship with him. And I, I want to ask a question that in one sense is a no-brainer. We all know the answer. But in your heart of hearts, let me ask you this question. Do you experience affection for him? Again, we've kind of changed the word love a little bit sometimes in our head to go, yeah, I do the things. Of course I love him. I read my Bible. I pray. I... Do you actually experience affection for him? Do you feel loving towards him? And I don't mean every minute of every day. That's coming one day. But is it kind of a general experience that you feel affection for him? Because when I talk to a lot of people, some would tell me out and out that they don't. And some I just get the sense from. And listen, for, for men, this is especially difficult sometimes. We struggle with emotions on a whole. Uh, you guys know there was a time in my life when Kim kind of said, you know, you have two emotions, angry and okay. And that's kind of, that was the range. That was what I had. As I've grown, I've, I've started to experience more emotions, but men often struggle in this area, not to mention to love another dude. It can be tricky. There's a lot of men that are just turned off by, by going, I have to say I love him. I won't even tell my actual brother that I love him. Like, and it can be a little weird. But do we actually experience love or affection for him? Now, here's the thing. I'm not trying to say that, that that emotion of love is the most important thing or should ever be the most important thing. That gets dangerous. I, I often explain it to people like this. I use the illustration of a train. Go ahead and put it up there. I made that this morning. Just <laughs> throwing it out there. Used to just be a blank screen. Now you see a train. The engine of the train, when it comes to our relationship with God, is meant to be faith. Here is what he says is true, and I believe it. After faith comes actions. Then uh, the obedience that comes from it. He says this is true. He commands me to do this. I'm going to do it. The caboose is emotions. The emotions come afterwards, often. 
I believe that this is true. He's calling me to something, listen, that's probably hard. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to call me to it. I choose to obey, and then the actions come. Well, for many of us, what we want is to switch it and to have the emotions be the engine, and I'll follow him because it just always feels so good, but that's not life. And here's, here's the problem. None of us truly have control over our emotions. You can't just make yourself feel love. You can't just make yourself, when you're angry, you can't just make yourself not angry anymore. We're not that good. We have to put emotions in their proper place. Emotions are the caboose. They're a terrible engine. But they're also, it's a sign that there's a problem if the emotions are never there. Many teach faith and following Jesus as if emotions are the enemy. It is strictly about your head. Do you know the right things? Do you check all the right boxes? Who cares if you ever feel it or not? And that's a really unhealthy expression of faith. If any one of these three carts is missing, something is wrong in our faith. The problem is we've seen emotionalism go too far in one direction, and people just, they're always shouting and weeping and crying and everything else, and we go, okay, that's, that doesn't feel right. And we've swung too far in the other direction. You guys have heard me use this phrase before. The proper response to misuse isn't disuse. It's proper use. We've become, in some circles, afraid of emotion because those people over there, that got weird, that went way too far. And so we almost say emotions are the enemy and we turn them off. If you are in a loving relationship with your heavenly father, Shouldn't you experience affection for him? Shouldn't this be, again, not every minute of every day, but shouldn't this be a regular marker in your life that you actually love him and feel love toward him? If not, I'm not telling you just muster it up real quick, but it's an indication that something's broken. It's an indication that something is wrong. One of the most common illustrations given for our relationship with Jesus in the scriptures is marriage. Most of us have seen the kind of marriage where people are going through the motions, they're doing the things, but the spark is gone, the emotion is gone. We don't look at those and go, healthy, man, I hope my relationship is like that one day. We, we intrinsically know something's broken there. I mean, again, they're doing the right things. Everybody's getting where they need to get on time. The kids are getting to practice, and everyone's able to, we're able to function as a family. We even have dinner pretty regularly, and it even tastes pretty good sometimes. Maybe, you know, that couple, they heard this message last year where their pastor told them, you should probably think about having more sex. And so they scheduled that in. We'll, we'll do the things. But when you're with that couple, you just you know the spark is gone. You know there's no love and affection there between them. They're fine when they're together, but maybe they also start to look for some excuses to be apart. I'll just work a little more. I, have, I'm, I gotta go out of town. I gotta go visit my mom again. And they start to become these excuses for separation. That oftentimes that can be what it is when you, when you talk to a Christian and you go, I do the things. I go to church regularly. I read my Bible when I can. Do you love him? I think we're okay. I don't think he's currently mad at me. Is, is that love? Does that count? 
there's a big difference, and we know this, again, when we look at people between happily married. When you see that couple that has been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years, and they are still in love with each other, and the couple that's just still together. Well, they haven't got divorced yet. They're doing the right thing. They're just, they're, they're sticking it out. For the kids, they, they know God hates divorce, and so they're just muscling through. They're going to keep doing the things, but they just don't love each other. Do you guys know, just this little sidebar on marriage real quick. God doesn't hate divorce just because he made up the rule and said, I think divorce will be bad. Let's just go there. He saw it for what it was. This is one of the most destructive things that two human beings can do is to, to tear apart this bond that they have. So therefore, he called it sin. And so many go, okay, so marriage, the, the call in marriage is don't get divorced. Everything else is fine. I wish we loved each other, but it's fine. Just don't get divorced. That's how some view it. It's a win as long as you just stick it out. But we have actually been called to love our spouse. Not just serve them, not just do the things, but there should be affection. There should be a sense that we like to be together. We're better when we are together. We know this, again, intrinsically. We, we've seen those marriages, and we know, I want to be like that one. I pray for them. So often, though, we fall into the same trap in our relationship with him. We do the things. We go through the motions. We haven't divorced him. You know, we're not walking away from our faith. It's just, I don't know. It's just what we do. But do you love him? Do you actually experience affection for him. Jesus, in Matthew 24, he was telling his disciples, look, one day, we call them the end days, things are going to get bad. Things are going to get really hard. In the time before he comes back for his second coming, the world is going to be in a really rough place. And here's one of the descriptors he gives, a sign that they would know that the end is near. The love of many will grow cold. Jesus said, look, one of the ways that you're going to know the end is coming is there's going to be people who call themselves Christians, and I'm not trying to say, like, I'm not trying to say who's in and who's out, but there's going to be, be people who go by the name of Christian, but whose love has grown cold, who it's just this rote religion now. And he says, be so careful in those times. There's a truth here. If you're here this morning and I'm describing you a little bit. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, raise your like nothing stupid like that. But if you're hearing this and you're going, I think the love has gone a little cold. There's, there's a distance between me and him. Let me just tell you, if that's you, it's one-sided. The Lord has not gone anywhere. The Lord has not stopped loving and pursuing you. His love doesn't grow cold. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. His love does not grow cold. So if there's a distance, if there's a cooling off in your relationship, it's one-sided. And I don't say that to shame you or to go, you've done this, what's wrong with you? I say this to go, you have the power to make a change. He has not stopped pursuing us. He has not stopped loving us passionately rationally and emotionally and everything in between, he has not stopped 
we now have the opportunity to turn, to come back to him. If we aren't experiencing affection or love in our relationship with Jesus, again, let's talk a little bit, church. What do we do? Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, that kind of describes me. Or maybe it describes the path I'm on currently. I wouldn't say my love has grown cold, but it ain't what it used to be. What do we do? What kind of changes can we make? Yes, sir. First of all, we have to just admit that it's true. Confession always has to come first. Confession always comes before life change because until I admit the truth, I can't change. So the first step has to be, and again, I'm not saying you have to come to a microphone and admit it to us, but admitting it to yourself. My love has grown cold. There is a distance between me and the Lord, and and to be honest, I've been kind of okay with it. We have to confess it. There was a hand up back here. Okay. Sure. When we really are angry with God. We don't have less anger for him because we don't we have a less relationship with him. Uh-huh. So sometimes you're like, Well, I don't really know why, but if you stop you kinda of know why. Because I really don't understand why you did quote unquote did that or let it happen or sure. what the difference even is. So like if we're not once we confess it, it's you gotta look at the when. When does it stop? Mm-hmm. When am I am I mad? Because I if I'm loving towards I'm a loving relationship, there's anger there too. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm at that spot of confessing, you know what, this, this is me. When did it start? There, something happened. When did it start? And going back and going, you know what, like, most likely, God, I'm, I'm mad that this happened in my life. I'm frustrated. I don't understand. But oftentimes, we don't feel like we're allowed to say those things to God. And so what we do is we just turn off all emotion instead. I don't want to be angry toward him, so I'll just feel nothing instead. And and that's a path that leads to destruction. Did you know God can handle your anger? Read through the Psalms sometimes. You'll find David going, what the heck, God? Where did you go? One of my favorite passages in Jeremiah 19, he says, you tricked me, and I was tricked. (laughs) Like, can you imagine just looking at God and going, you pulled one over on me? Because it happens in the scripture, and God doesn't go, oh. Why would you say that? He's, he's a big boy. He can handle it. God can handle your anger, your fear. Whatever it is that, that caused you to turn it off, he can handle it if we'll bring it to him. What else? What can we do? Okay. Okay, so she said, she said normalizing praise. And it's this idea of like, you know what? Like in any relationship I'm in, you would tell somebody thank you for something nice that they did. Even if you weren't like, I love you so much for that. Thing. You would still say, hey, I recognize that. Thank you. 
One of the things in scripture that we talked about a few weeks back is called the sacrifice of praise. Praising God when I don't feel like it, but because, remember the, the feelings train, faith, action, emotions, I don't feel like praising him, but my faith tells me that he's still worthy of it. And so I'm going to choose to do that. And guys, here's the thing about that train. When faith is in its proper place and the actions come, the emotions do as well. Not like right away every single time, but it becomes a more normal part because I choose to act on what I believe is true. And so I praise him for it. And you know what? I start to feel like praising him for it because you know what? He is really good. The fact that he would do that for me, like sometimes we have to start before the emotions are there. Loving him is a choice. I mean, listen, the fact in, we looked at Matthew 22, where Jesus said the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. He doesn't command us to do things we're incapable of. Like, we have a choice in the matter. And so his command to us is choose to love God, heart, mind, and soul. Recognizing that, like, this is our choice. I can't choose to feel the love necessarily, but I can choose to act in love towards him. Trusting that like in any healthy relationship, when we love one another, the emotions do come. Again, the point isn't feel this way. The point is if you don't ever feel this way, it's a sign that something's wrong. Using your imagination, if, if God, just in the quietness of your own heart, if God did love me, what would it look like? And you're going to start to go, oh, wait, I do see that. He does love me. I, and I start to recognize the things. But sometimes it's just powerful to sit down and just use the imagination that God gave us. We don't have to be scared of it. What would it look like if he loved me? What would it look like if I loved him back in the same way? Oh, well, maybe I can start doing some of those things. Like... It can be that simple. In the book of, of Revelation, 
Jesus basically writes letters to these seven churches that are all in different places. And he's, all of them kind of come, uh, one kind of gets off a little easier than the rest, but most of them come with this, this warning. Hey, be, be careful. And to the church in Ephesus, he says this, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, that you can't tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and you have endured hardships for the sake of my name. You have not grown weary. He's saying you've done the stuff. You've been obedient. You are working hard. But this I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. That's that, you know what, like I have to acknowledge it. I have to make the choice to turn from it. And do the works that you did at first. He goes, you guys are doing so much hard work. They were very religious people. And I don't think even in like the Pharisaical, he was, he was being legitimate. Like you're doing such good stuff. But the one thing you're missing is love. You've fallen away from your love. So do the things that you did at first. When I, when I think about that, and again, thinking of this marriage uh, illustration that the scripture gives us, when I talk to people who are in those kind of cold marriages, we're doing the thing, we don't want to be where we are, but like all we know is just keep taking the kids to soccer practice and just keep doing the things. One of the things that we talk to them is we say, hey, maybe you guys should start dating each other again. Do the things you did at first. Remember when you used to just go places for no other reason than because you enjoyed being with each other? Maybe you should do that again. Remember when you used to just do the old pop-in at work just because you wanted to see them in the middle of the day? Well, maybe you don't want to see them in the middle of the day, but do the thing you did at first anyway, and maybe you'll start to want to see them in the middle of the day. We would tell people, start dating again. And this, again, this is where it gets weird for guys. I get it. What if we needed to start dating God again? Going back is in the beginning, when each of us chose to follow him, there was excitement and there was passion and there was things we did because we wanted to do them that we've since kind of grown cold and we've stopped doing them. And the less we do them, the more the passion grows cold and on and on this thing goes. What if we began to do the things that we did at first? So I want to give you guys a tool. I don't just want to stand up here and go, duh, it's easy, just love God again. Like, I want to give you guys a tool. I need two volunteers to pass things out, if somebody would. Sure. I got one. Just come on up. So if one of you would pass out these papers and the other, the pens, to everyone. So we're going to take an assessment, because who doesn't love assessments, right? But here's the good news. The assessment is all about you. So we like that. On the front of this, you'll see these like boxes with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And right underneath that, it says, don't turn the page until the assessment's complete, which means don't turn your paper over yet. Because you will see the answers and you will cheat. It's human nature. We all do it. But what this assessment is doing is this is called a spiritual pathways assessment. This is man-made. This is not something from scripture, but it's something that can be really helpful. What this can do is help us to realize, are there certain spaces in life that make it easier for me to connect with him? Like, are there certain places that I can go or certain things that I can do that just make it more natural for me to connect with him? Because here's the thing, none of us get bonus points for making this harder than it needs to be. 
God has uniquely wired you and he knows you as an individual. And when he calls you to meet, he doesn't just go, and everyone do it this exact same way. You are unique. And so he has a way to connect with you that's different than how he connects with me. And that's a beautiful thing. Everyone, when, if you're married, when you date your spouse, there were certain things that you knew your spouse enjoyed doing, and so you did those things. And there were certain things that you knew, I probably shouldn't take her to that Star Wars conference. I don't think she enjoys that. There's certain things you knew to avoid. We are the same way with God where he goes, I know you, and there's certain things that's going to help us connect. Let's spend more time there. And there's going to be other things that, listen, maybe work for someone else, but aren't going to work for us. That's okay. Let's do the things that help us connect. Does this make sense, church? Okay, so we're going to watch a video that's going to walk us through taking this assessment. So it'll, it'll ask the questions. It'll tell you where to put your answers. So let's just watch this video together. We're about to work. I knew most of you wouldn't do it, but now that you've done this, you really want to see the results. That'll leave for homework. What you're going to do, not now because you're focusing up here, right, everyone? I have children. I know what it's like to be ignored, okay? You're just going to go through it and you're going to add those up. And then on the back, you will find what correlates with them. And what these are going to be, really quickly, is activism, contemplation, nature, intellect, relationships, service, and worship. And what these are is just some, some categories to help you go, boy, it seems like, by the way I answered those questions, I come alive a little bit more when I'm in these kinds of situations, when I'm serving other people. You're the kind of person that when somebody says, hey, uh, somebody's moving, we need some people to load a truck, you kind of go, okay. I was, maybe I wasn't hoping someone would call, but like, I'm not mad that they did. Like, I kind of come alive a little bit in there. What that means is it's a way that God has wired you, a way that God actually desires to connect with you. Maybe I should spend a little more time serving people because I come alive in that. Or intellect, you know what? Like, man, I remember back in the day before life was so crazy, I loved to just sit and read about God. And I would read these stories of faithful men and women and, and I, my, my faith was built up. Maybe I'm just so busy now, I haven't done that in a while. Maybe I need to set aside some time to do some deep thinking, to do some reading and some study because I really connect with God in that way. Nature, I mean, I'll, I'll let you guys read through them all there. I will say this, they noted, here's like a notable example for each one of those things. If like activism is you and you're like, man, when there's just like, when there's a cause, I just, I feel like I'm on a mission with God, you know, in those situations. And then they say, like Martin Luther King Jr. And you go, oh, whoa, not that big. Like they list some giants in these. And so it's not you have to be on the level of MLK if you're really going to connect with. They're just trying to give you an example to go, man, he came alive when there was people to fight for, when there was a cause. And something in me does too. And, and so just look through these on your own, and then they give some even discussion questions that you can talk as a family with some friends. This stuff is for later. I just didn't want to send you out feeling like, oh man, my love has grown cold, and he didn't give me anything to do. These are simply some of those areas to go, I'm going to lean in here a little bit and see if this helps me connect more with God. Listen, some of you may have gone, 
I didn't really know how I felt about some of these things because I've never, they asked some questions about like, man, especially like in ministry, in ministering to other people, I've never done a whole lot of that. I don't know how I feel. This may give you some areas to go, I need to try some of this and see what it stirs up inside of me. But this is simply a tool, again, it's man-made, but a tool to go, man, you know, in the beginning, I used to do more of this back when my love was, was hot. And as it's grown cold, I look and I go, I've started doing less of this. I need to lean back in. Does that make sense, church? Okay. So we are going to close our time together uh, singing a song. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. I want to give you a couple different ways to respond. One is I'm going to ask the, some of the elders that are here this morning, if you guys would go ahead and come up here to this area. If you are one of those people that's going, the love has grown cold. Maybe not ice cold, but like colder than I would like. I'm going to ask you to put some feet to it and to come and to be prayed for. You can come up here to the altar if you just want to come and, and be alone with the Lord. If you need someone to pray with you, to come up to these men. And listen, let me just take the pressure off. No one's judging you. We have all been in this place where we go, I don't love him like I should. I, I got to get back to it. I want to make a change. And so no one, if you come forward, there's always that everyone's going to see, everyone's going to know. No one is judging you because we have all been there. But put some feet to it. Come and be prayed for. We're going to be singing a song called Jesus, We Love You. And sometimes I, I don't do songs like this very often because I want to be careful what words I put in people's mouth. And this song is about how we love him more than anything. And some of us might be sitting there going, you know, that's not actually true today. Maybe that's the first step, that, that acknowledging it. So sing it aspirationally. I want this to be true. I want to be able to sing, I love you. You're, you're, you're like honey on my lips. It's not true, but I want it to be true, God. And to sing this aspirationally to him, because he knows your heart. And the first step is recognizing it's not true, but I want it to be true. So would you stand? I'm going to pray, and then however the Lord leads you to respond.